Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. This morning we have the privilege of looking at Mary as she comes to visit Elizabeth and as she declares God's glory in what is called the Magnificat. And so, read with me now, Luke 1, 39, verses 39 to 56. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and, his, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me as blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy." As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we examine these words inspired by your Holy Spirit through these two women, Father, we pray that you would cause us to be provoked to give glory to you and to seek you and to believe, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mary comes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth's pregnancy in advanced age was not just to mark the special calling of the child she would bear, John the Baptist. It was also given to Mary as a sign of God's power over his creation. Gabriel told Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Elizabeth is in her sixth month. Mary is Elizabeth's relative, traditionally cousin, but we don't really know. It's really, the word is more like kinswoman, so Elizabeth and Mary are kin. That's really what we know, all right? And so we can conclude that Mary really knew nothing about Elizabeth's being pregnant until 
Gabriel announced this to Mary. Elizabeth was in her sixth month, but it wasn't like she could broadcast her pregnancy to Mary, who was quite a distance away, or put it on Facebook, or, or send out some kind of social media message, or call her on the phone. And obviously, as uh, Gabriel announces it to Mary, he does it in such a way as to say something to her. It sounds as if he's saying something to her. She doesn't know. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her sixth month. Nothing is impossible with God. And so this is understood to be a miracle, something for which the only explanation is supernatural intervention. Elizabeth was old. Zacharias had told Gabriel that his wife was advanced in years. She's way old. My wife is way old. And we're reminded of what we heard a couple of weeks ago, that she was actually called the barren, the barren one. She who is called barren. She who is called stera, sterile. That's, pretty, that's a pretty caustic thing to be called by people. Wouldn't that be a fun greeting on the street? Hello, sterile. I sterile one. But that's what Elizabeth was known as. She was known as a, the barren one, being barren. Now, of course, they didn't greet her on the street that way. But I suppose talking about her when she wasn't present, well, there's Elizabeth. She's never had any children. She's sterile, right? And so we think about this and we think, okay, so they didn't understand back then. They didn't understand how things were. Zacharias, he didn't really understand what it was like for a woman to be sterile, for her to be barren. He didn't understand. It was just that they hadn't had kids, even though they had pled with God for years to have children. Uh, he didn't understand, right? Zachariah didn't understand. I mean, that was back before science, right? Now, Zechariah understood. He understood his wife. He understood the years they had not had children. He likely had lived with his wife through menopause. Hot flashes and mood swings. Elizabeth. To the point that Zechariah knew that this can't be. I mean, it's too late. It's too late for us to have a child. And when Gabriel told him the child was coming and Zechariah acted in disbelief, Gabriel disciplined him with muteness and likely deafness, as we read later, as signs are made to him to try to communicate that, that Elizabeth wanted to name John with the name John. Uh, they didn't just say it to him. They made some kind of signs to him, so maybe he was deaf as well. So Gabriel disciplined him with muteness because he didn't believe what Gabriel spoke, that what Gabriel spoke would come to be. Zacharias knew that a pregnancy would require a miracle. There had to be a miracle. John was a miracle baby. 
John the Baptist was a miracle baby. He was a miracle baby like Isaac, born to Sarah, was a miracle baby. Out of time. Shouldn't happen. Couldn't happen without divine intervention. I want to talk about this issue of miracle for a minute, but I want you to go down a little road with me to, to explain what I want to say. And there's a, there's a joke that you've likely heard. What has 15 actors, four settings, two writers, and one plot line? And the answer is 432 Hallmark Christmas movies. Okay? I don't want to settle on Hallmark Christmas movies other than to say that they all promise something. Something magical is going to happen in this movie. Right? Something, some magical event, some magical finding of this, uh, this, these two people, or what? some magical person who has pixie dust that they throw on somebody, right? And there's magic promised in a Hallmark movie. I bring this up because I want to make a distinction. I don't want us to conflate magic with miracle. John's birth was a miracle, Magic is what we invent to amuse ourselves in an attempt to escape reality or medicate ourselves from it, right? But John's birth wasn't magic. John's birth was a miracle. Would you consider choosing a trip? Do people you know, uh, when they've got a bunch of money, do you think they would consider going to uh, Israel to see where God's promises were made and where he walked with men? Or would they choose or prefer to have a trip to Walt Disney World in Florida? Which one do you think most people would choose today? Well, wouldn't it be more meaningful to stand in the water of the lake that Jesus walked on than to see the magic kingdom and the castle and some young lady with a nice complexion dressed as Cinderella? It would be different because if you went to the Holy Land, if you went to Israel, you would be going to a place where you would remember history, but not just history, the history of miracle, the history of fulfilled promise, the history of the incarnation. And you would be there thinking about history and you would be forced to consider the God who had orchestrated it. When you go to Walt Disney World, you're not forced to consider anything but the, but the prices, right? Miracle versus magic. My point isn't the Holy Land. The Holy Land doesn't have hope in and of itself. Many miracles did happen there. Many promises were made there. But you can't go there and take a shovel and dig a miracle up in the Holy Land. It's not going to happen. 
My point isn't the Holy Land. My point is miracle. There's no hope in Disneyland. There's no hope. You go there, you observe it, but there's no hope. There is eternal hope in the promises of God. We prefer magic because we control it. Nothing to fear, predictable outcome. Lights come up in the theater and we go home. Magic happens in front of us for our observation and entertainment. I was thinking as the choir was singing how, how uh, a movie producer would take, a director would take that song and prostitute it to a soundtrack of a film. And what you would feel as you watched the film would be the the strains of the music that we heard this morning. But this morning we watched and heard and we observed the words and the meaning as they were put before us so that we could think, oh, yes, yes. This is the work of God for us. Apply this to me, God. Yes, but it's a little bit scary. Or it's a lot scary, depending on where you are. And you're viewing that and you realize this just isn't safe. This is not in my control because the, the, the assertions and declarations of the music are about truths of God and his character. And that's outside of us. We don't create it. It's not for our entertainment. It's not simply for our observation. Miracle is what the Almighty God enacts, interrupting the natural to accomplish judgment or salvation. Miracle is terrifying and wondrous. Miracle happens to accomplish the purposes of God. John the Baptist was a miracle baby. He was a miracle baby. Miracles happen at an appointed time. There's a word for this, and the word is kairos. Kairos, the appointed time and the purpose of God. The appointed time where he brings something together, a divine, a divine appointment, a divine moment where something comes together. Zacharias is in the temple. He's serving the Lord. It's his turn. Many men have had turns before him. Gabriel appears, and Gabriel announces that Elizabeth is going to give birth to John, and Zacharias muffs it. He just muffs it, doesn't he? I can, I can relate to that. I could relate to being at the Kairos in my life and having that kind of a reaction and just muffing it. He did. And so he got disciplined for it. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. And so you're going to have some silence for a while. You're not going to be able to say anything. Mary, here, in this text and in the first chapters, is at the Kairos. Joseph is at the Kairos. Elizabeth at the Kairos. Their Kairos. Zechariah. The shepherds, the wise men, Simeon, all of these ones at the appointed time when they're going to observe the miracle, they're going to testify to the miracle, they're going to be a part of the miracle, all of them at this appointed time. 
The incarnation came at the appointed time in the purpose of God. The, the incarnate Christ at the, capital the, Kairos. And you and I are there. You and I are there because our eternal destiny is, is right there in the scale. It's happening right there. This is where it happens to and for us, right there. Jesus comes incarnate, and then he's going to live a perfect holy life and die for our sins. A miraculous event in a moment in time. Not magic. Not magic. This is the miraculous intervention of the Almighty God to save a people for himself. Mary believed and gave herself to God's purposes. And it says in the text, she arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah. Wasted no time. Arose and went in a hurry. Nazareth to the hill country of Judah is 80 to 100 miles. If you look at a map, right? Any fit bidders here today? Any fit bidders? Oh, come on. Okay, some reluctant people say that they're fit bidders. Okay. So is 10,000 steps a day a lot? Is that a good number? You know, I said this in the first service, and Ann Wigener, bless her, she just goes, I'd be glad if I could kick out 10,000 a day, I'll tell you. Now think about what Mary was facing. She arose and went in a hurry and began a journey that if she took 40,000 steps, 2,000 steps a mile, 10,000 steps, five miles. If she took 40,000 steps a day, she'd go 20 miles. It would take her five days to get there. She's got a trip. She's got a trip she's taking, a big trip, just on the word of Gabriel. Just on the word of Gabriel. And not only that, I, I got to thinking as I was processing through this, she's going to turn around. She's there for three months. So Elizabeth is six months in her pregnancy. Mary comes. She's with her for three months, which means she probably stayed for the birth of John. And then she went home another you know, uh, <coughs> 200,000 steps, is that what it is? I don't know. <laughs> Math's not my wrong point. So then she goes home, and then what? Five to six months later, what's she going to do? She and Joseph are going to do the whole thing again. Make the whole trip again. She made this trip twice. No, three times when she was pregnant. She made this trip. She has just given herself to the purposes of God because he has made promises to her and she has believed. Now, she wasn't just going to see an old pregnant relative to kind of see the show, you know, okay, there's a pregnant woman that's really old. No. She's going and she's going to stay with Elizabeth for three months. She probably decided she would just serve Elizabeth in her pregnancy. She probably just stayed there and helped Elizabeth. Was she going because she didn't believe what Gabriel had said and she wanted to see for herself? No. No, the text clearly says that 
she tells Gabriel she's at the Lord's disposal. She believes what he said. <coughs> John Calvin says she went for two reasons. One, to increase and strengthen the faith she already had. And two, to celebrate the grace of God both of them had received. Just this kind of mutual celebration of the grace of God. <coughs> Elizabeth is six months pregnant. She doesn't know Mary is coming. She doesn't know that Mary carries the incarnate Christ in her womb. Mary enters the house and greets Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She's filled with the Spirit just at the voice of Mary, the one carrying the Christ. John's conception was miraculous. The Scripture says he would be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. He jumped in his mother's womb. When the, when the greeting reached Elizabeth's ears, John jumped in his mother's womb. Now, some of you ladies who've been pregnant, I don't know, anybody say they had a baby that jumped? But Elizabeth said he jumped for joy. So she not only knew and felt the reality of his jump, but the Holy Spirit revealed to her that the baby within her, at the presence of the Messiah and the Messiah's mother coming into the room, the baby in her had, had an ecstatic moment of joy. And that's all we can say. But it's amazing. And Elizabeth knew it. So picture it for a moment. Elizabeth, possibly 60 years old, Mary, maybe 15. Normally you would think that the one who was the subordinate, the one who was the lesser, would receive the lesser greeting, and the one who was the greater would receive the greater greeting, but that doesn't happen in this case. It doesn't happen with Mary and Elizabeth. In this case, the older burst forth with the greater blessing because of the blessing God had given to Mary. The normally superior to the normally inferior, because something very different was happening. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, and she cries out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby left in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Bursting into spontaneous blessing inspired by the Holy Spirit. Instant knowledge that the incarnate Christ was in Mary's womb. Instant and supernatural knowledge of Mary's condition and its, and its significance. Knowledge that included the reality that Mary had had a conversation that was set up by the Lord a divine appointment, a point of kairos where Gabriel had come to her. And so that Elizabeth could say, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And up till that moment, I mean, you can imagine this is just a, is a second. 
Mary walks in the door. Hey! And Elizabeth, completely in the dark, suddenly, she's filled with the Spirit. Just the voice of Mary. And she's filled with the Spirit and blessing Mary and blessing the Lord that brought about Mary's condition. Now, what did Elizabeth do from this point on? Well, what she did from this point on was she, she used her relationship with Mary to get special influence with God the Father and God the Son because she's close to Mary. She can use Mary. Now, of course, I'm being absurd, but you realize that this is a huge part of Christendom, believing that Mary, that's what Mary's for, to get influence. And it's just absurd from the whole context of what goes on here. It's absurd from the the character of Mary. It's absurd from God's word. It's absurd from the realities of what was being accomplished in this moment. What Elizabeth was saying was not meant to be an endlessly repeated mantra to bring Mary's influence to bear on the Godhead. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. And worse. Elizabeth knew the difference between Mary and the child Mary carried. John Calvin writes about this. He says, Elizabeth affirms that her cousin, he says cousin, kinswoman, was blessed on account of the blessedness of her child. To carry Christ in her womb was not Mary's first blessedness. Okay, did you hear that? To carry Christ in her womb was not Mary's first blessedness, but was greatly inferior to the distinction of being born again by the Spirit of God to a new life. Yet she is justly called blessed, on whom God bestowed the remarkable honor of bringing into the world his own Son, through whom she had been spiritually renewed. And at this day, the blessedness brought to us by Christ cannot be the subject of our praise without reminding us at the same time of the distinguished honor which God was pleased to bestow on Mary in making her the mother of his only begotten Son. Appropriate honor. Honor in its context. Jesus even describes this appropriate honor and gives it context for us again. And both times he does this, it's further later in the, in the book of Luke. And so in Luke 8, his mother, mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Belief, faith, salvation, life in God. He wasn't trashing his mother. He loved his mother. But he was saying, let's get this all in the right perspective. Later in Luke 11, while he was talking, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And he said, On the contrary, 
Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Just a repeat of what he had said in Luke 8. Again, he's bringing context to what's important. And he's, he's not trashing Mary, but he is saying, let's get this completely straight here. Those redeemed are God, by God. Those who live uh, lives of obedience to him, those are those who are blessed. And now we come to the Magnificat, Latin for, My soul exalts or magnifies the Lord. Who was Mary? A humble Jewish virgin engaged to be married to Joseph, uneducated, ambitious perhaps to get married and have children. This was Mary, quiet. But if you read the Magnificat, it reads like poetry. It reads like prophecy. But not prophecy of warning and prediction like God uses often in the Old Testament especially, and also in the New. But prophecy of the exclamation of the glories of God and his purposes and his power like you see at Pentecost in the book of Acts. When these men come out of the upper room filled with the Holy Spirit, again, you have Elizabeth, you have Mary, you have the Holy Spirit there filling that whole entire situation. And that's what you had at Pentecost with the men in the room, and they're, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go outside, and they start what? They start speaking of the mighty deeds of God. That's what they were accused of. They're speaking the mighty words of God. But that sounded weird. Prophecies coming out of them. The men thought they were drunk. Why did they think they were drunk? Why did they think these men at Pentecost were drunk? Not because they were unintelligible. Not because they were incomprehensible. Not because they were slurred in their speech. They thought they were drunk because they were self-forgetful. They were like you are when you're pounding on your steering wheel at the intersection, right? And you got the music blaring and your head's bobbing and you're singing and you turn your head and there's some guy looking at you. (laughs) But for a moment, you were self-forgetful. But no, this isn't that kind of self-forgetful even. This is a a Holy Spirit poured out self-forgetful where men would declare the mighty deeds of God and speak them in public as if they had, they had nothing holding them back. I can't help but tell you the mighty deeds of God. And this is how the Magnificat reads. It reads like that type of prophecy. Words exploding out of a heart, overloaded with wonder, gratitude, and awe. We're actually told in 1 Corinthians that we're supposed to primarily desire prophecy. Because prophecy has a place in the life of the church that when prophecy is given, when we explode with words declaring the glory and holiness of God, that when people hear it, 
what will happen to them will be the same thing that happened to those people on the day of Pentecost. They'll be convicted, they'll be convinced, they'll say, something powerful happened here. God must be true. I need to believe this. I want that kind of deliverance. I want that kind of ecstasy. I want that kind of life. I want that kind of self-forgetfulness because that's all I do is think about myself constantly. I want to be free. They're obviously free. Just like Pentecost, this time at the Kairos, at the birth of Christ, all these, uh, you know, Zechariah's prophecy, Mary's prophecy, uh, um, Simeon, you read all of them, and they're like this. They're just, you can, you can just feel the power of the Holy Spirit as they speak. And so Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave, his female servant. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And remember, only one woman in all of history. That's Mary. Just one. That's pretty significant. And we are supposed to count her blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. She understood who she was before God. She understood who godly people were before God. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. God made promises. God keeps his promises Here I am, Elizabeth. God is keeping his promise right in my belly. When Annie and I teach the children's uh, membership class, you know, they're kids from eight to, maybe we had a couple six-year-olds, I don't know, to to 11 or so. And we always come to to the lesson on the virgin birth and and, you know, you parents, would you please explain things to your kids so I don't have to try to explain the virgin birth to your kids? But I do. I have to explain this, right, somehow, so that you're not angry at me later. But what I do is I end up telling them, I said, do you remember being in your mom's belly? And they now, you know, most of them don't. So I say, well, what about your brothers or sisters? And do you remember when they were in your mom's belly? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, remember the big bump? In your mom's belly? Yeah, I remember that. You know, Jesus was in Mary's belly. And there was a bump. You can talk about the virgin birth. You can talk about Mary being with child. You can talk about all kinds of things. But just stop and think for a minute. There was a bump. That baby right in there. 
Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. What do you perceive Mary to be like? I have, a, I have an illustration, and so she doesn't know I'm going to do this. Annalise, you know, I'm looking over here, but I'm pointing over here. Annalise, would you stand up? Now, this is Annalise, and she's 13. Okay, so Mary could have been 13, 14, 15, 16. And Annalise is, is rough and tumble, right? If, you know, she's obnoxious and, and loud. Now, you look at Annalise, she says sometimes, you look at Annalise, and you think if, if Max Carell tripped and fell on her, she'd just splat, <laughs> right? She's quiet. You don't know when she's in the room, she's not yelling and so that everybody's looking at her. This is Annalise. This is like, this is like Mary. She wasn't, this, she wasn't this East German tall, right? Thank you, Annalise. Thank you. She wasn't a self-promoter. She didn't go to Toastmasters to learn how to do public speaking so that she could come and have this interaction with Elizabeth. This was the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if I had Annalise come up here, and I won't do it, but if I had Annalise come up here and read those first two verses of Mary's Magnificat, she would read, and she would be a little nervous, I suppose, and she would say, you know, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Right? And we wouldn't think that was inappropriate. Annalise, we wouldn't think it's inappropriate. And if we saw Mary, and she made a, a statement, we generally we would think if she was quiet, but that's not what she did. <laughs> she had the Holy Spirit. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She was beside herself with the blessing of God on her life. What Mary says is the word of God. It also illustrates for us the effect of the presence of the Holy Spirit on someone at the Kairos, at the point of miracle, at the intervention of God, at that divine appointment, miracles present right there with Mary and Elizabeth. Mary was feeling the hope and the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and so she bursts forth with prophecy. Now, I only wanted to have three points for you that I was emphasizing in this account. Okay, you should go home and read it. Read it to your family. One, I wanted you to understand miracles. Miracles are the miraculous intervention of the Almighty God. God interrupts what's normal. And he brings about something that could only be done by an outside power intervening. Two, I wanted you to understand, Kairos, that God has appointed times 
where he deals with his people, individuals and corporately. And three, I wanted you to understand prophecy in the vein of the Magnificat. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Could you say that? My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Ready? My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Now, imagine you weren't just repeating after me, but that, in fact, you were thinking of and reminiscing on the time, or you were in the very throes of the time when God was bringing about his purposes on you. And the Holy Spirit was in you. And you, and you immediately just could not help but to say, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So the people around you would say, if they heard you, they would say, huh, huh. Has Jesus done anything for you? The pastors know what he's done. The elders know what he's done. Your family knows what he's done. Have you ever tried to tell somebody about it? Sometimes I tell people about what Christ Christ has done in you. I tell them about you, sometimes. And sometimes when I'm telling them about you, my soul exalts the Lord. And I start to prophesy. And you say, well, you're... We're reformed, Max. We don't, we don't use the P word here. No. And they know that I'm, I am feeling the power of the Holy Spirit as I confess the work of God by miracle as he took you out of muck and as he changed your Uh, disposition, your very disposition, I can rejoice. I can rejoice in how he's worked in me. I can rejoice in how he's worked in you. Have you been able to tell someone about the miracle of your life? Have you been able to tell them about the kairos, the divine moment? Have Have you been telling them with the Holy Spirit of God on you so that they think, wow, wait a minute. He forgot himself. She forgot herself. This was Mary. This was Elizabeth. And this is supposed to be us. We're supposed to prefer prophecy because it convicts and it convinces people who hear it. Because it's powerful. It's the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Revelation 19.10 says, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do you have the testimony of Jesus? If you do and you start testifying to it, you're bringing about the prophecy of Christ. You'll be self-forgetful. And you haven't been drinking. Have you spoken of Magnificat? Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed. But Jesus says, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. And of course, Mary is blessed. And we would not have this wonderful, wonderful account verses if she had not been there available to God. She is blessed. But you're blessed. If you've received Jesus Christ, if he has met you at that moment with his divine power, you're also blessed and so can confess it before men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that our souls can bless you as we confess your intervention, your transformation, the very generation of our hearts from death to life. We give you thanks, Lord, for this mercy. We ask that you would make us bold to speak it to other people, that we wouldn't be afraid, and that as we speak it and as we step out by faith with our mouths, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit again and again and again so that we can speak your words boldly and with great joy and be a testimony to you and to your power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.